Welcome to the PMPA's Speaking of Precision podcast featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller, David Wynn, and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA's Speaking of Precision podcast. Carly Kistler-Miller and David Wynn have joined me today, and we are going to discuss some ideas that you might have for the year ahead. Welcome, Carly. Welcome, David. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, Miles. The reason I'm bringing this up is uh, we've almost got the first quarter in the books. We saw that January was crazy high. February was high, but it was down from January. And everyone I've spoken with says they're busy, but they're not crazy busy. They're not getting the the wild desperation calls. Hair's not on fire. Their hair's not on fire. Maybe the dumpster outside is. Well, that's a different podcast. (laughs) That's probably a different (laughs) podcast. So recognizing that with these first three months already, you know, kind of setting the pace, this is going to be a different year for our shops. And so I thought we might have a discussion between us to promote some thinking by our listeners as to what are they going to do differently this year? What are the things that they might want to prioritize this year, knowing that their hair's not on fire? Okay. Well, why don't you get us started off? Got an idea? I do. I think that they should really try to document their on-time delivery capability. Okay. So to what end? Uh, statistically, I mean, what is your capability and where are the weaknesses for, is, is it still supply chain? Is it, I can't get material? Is it, I have a bottleneck in cleaning? Is it, I have a bottleneck in a secondary? Is it, what, what is the out of control point in your operation? And now would be a great time with your hair not on fire to, address that bottleneck. So I think if we look at on-time delivery as a statistical capability yeah, and then deal with that reality, it's going to, it's, it's just going to be like an annuity of payments in the future as you eliminate that bottleneck. That's a fantastic idea too. Cause when you're going into slowing times, delivery is what is really going to make the difference with your customers because when you have more people and more capacity available that delivery is what everybody's going to be looking at and then when you take your on-time delivery down and you've got it where you've just you're you're delivering everything on time you're hitting all your notes you're automatically eliminating waste throughout the whole system that's an indicator of waste nice all right he said people so i'm going to jump on that because you know me in workforce Yeah, that's why we don't give you clubs, because you want to jump on people. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that visual, Miles. Anyway, (laughs) workforce recruitment. So you can, and there's also retention involved there too. So now maybe you have a chance to focus on your employees a little more. What can you do to enhance retention um, in-house training. Is this a time when you can upskill those people you want to upskill? Is this the chance for you to sit down and come up with a recruitment plan and not just, you know, throw a post out there and hope for the best or a chance to go visit your local community college and, 
and their program and get involved so that you can create those relationships. Or the upcoming National Technical Conference and PMTS show. That's right. The tech conference is an awesome thing to do. Send your employees, get them upskilled, meet new people, get new resources. See new resources. Yeah, lots going on in Cleveland with between Tech Conference and the PMTS. David, you uh, when you had a shop, you would you would bring your entire crew. Is that right? That's right. We'd shut down and bring the whole shop. Um, to me, it was real important. You know, you bring the performers in and, and everybody comes home with a different idea. You bring five, 10, 20 guys. If you're a bigger shop, bring 50 guys. I guarantee you, you're going to come home with 50 new ideas to make your shop better. I like that. I like 50 ways to be better. Don't need that crazy drum fill either. Huh? <laughs> did you we'll do a drum that. thing on me and I didn't get yeah, it? Yeah, it was Steve Gadd <laughs> did the drum fills for 50 ways to leave his lover. Ah, uh, this is an inside drum joke. I guess. I'm okay. sorry. Okay, we'll laugh. Joking, joking. Ready? Ready? Well, let's laugh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, you got any ideas? You know, um, so... <laughs> lessons learned from tight supply chains, and that's going to be simplify your shop. You know, if you've used 20 different inserts for a turn tool, let's try to cut that down to three. Let's look at things about bringing those um, things down. We don't want to have a bunch of different clutter and different items that we're using all over the shop. Most of the time we can simplify these things. A lot of times uh, we're using standard and metric ER collets. Settle on one. You know, I like the metric ones because they give you a range right on the collets. We use metric ER collets and then try to settle on one size. I know we're going to have a lot of different holders in the shop, but maybe you find that ER20 is going to capture 90% of what you're going to hold. So try to settle on ER20 holders. Um, Another thing you can do is try to settle on... uh, singular sizes of material. Maybe you've got a bunch of uh, random jobs that are in this range between 5 sixteenths and 3 eighths, and you run all this 1018, this 343 and 382 and all this other weird sizes. Try to simplify. Talk to your customers. See if you can get where maybe you run all that out of 3 eighths, 1018, and, and then you're only stocking a few different sizes of material, and it's helping you mitigate supply chain issues, but you're also simplifying what you're doing. So if there's any overstock too, if you find yourself with overstock, we've got the the material and exchange marketplace on PMPA.org where you might be able to help out another member. Right. Who may need that. By selling that. Yeah. Get get it out of your shop and help them out. Absolutely. Well, you know, the two of you have, have, you know, brought up two great points, you know, workforce and and simplifying your your, uh, stock keeping item count. And that actually triggers for me that we really need to choose this year to become the cleanest shop in the universe. And here's why. If my shop is clean, my morale is, is, is better. It's a better place to work. It's easier to sell as a place people would want to work, right? It's sure. not grimy. It's not a hazard. So the workforce, if, if we really concentrate, really focus on making our shop cleaner um, and just, you know, more visually attractive, a better place, um, it's going to have a benefit for that workforce. It's going to have a benefit on that consistency of quality because I don't have extra clutter, extra choices, false choices to slow me down. And so my work 
gets easier. It gets more, uh, it's less threatening for me to make a mistake. So I'm happier. So the culture improves. It's just a virtuous cycle. Clean your doggone shop. People. Well, it's probably like a, a, is it feng shui? What's it called? Feng shui. Yeah. yeah. When it just, when your environment is clean and settled, you, you feel better. Absolutely. Right? It's the it's psychological benefit of cleanliness. Absolutely. I like it. I like it. You know, when I was in the shop, we had a saying, we had the hundred percent vision. It was a hundred percent quality, a hundred percent on time delivery, a hundred percent clean and a hundred percent dreams. And, and we used to say that a lot. And so that was really, you know, it's the unattainable journey. You're never going to be a hundred percent clean, but you're always striving to get there. So the hundred percent dreams were the first three things that you mentioned. Dreaming to get to 100% <laughs> on all to get three to 100%. of those things. <laughs> no, really, really, it was good. if you meet the first three, then you can meet all your dreams. I like so, it. And it's all the stakeholders' dreams. I like it. So let me ask you guys this. I would assume that our shops market, like they have to, they have, to have a marketing plan to get their customers. I don't know, because we're not the target demographic, so it's not like I, I see the advertising and such. Do we know? I mean, I assume there are marketing plans in place in some of the shops. So- Ooh, Miles the, is speechless. The I'm so glad I asked this question. Obvious, the obvious question is, do our shops even, uh, act on or know the difference between marketing and sales? And I can answer that question. I think a lot of us don't. So when okay. I was in the shop, we didn't know the difference between that. And a lot of our time was spent selling, not marketing. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. So at its core, marketing is messaging. So marketing is getting your message to your market. Uh, sales is taking that message and and convincing or or persuading somebody a single customer right to change their change behavior to and, take an action and and then there you have what's called closing in sales you know that's when you you close the sale so i am a marketer i am messaging i get it out to our target demographic uh, in different formats on different channels. However, we have a salesperson, Joe Gentile, who will call these people, go meet these people, go talk to these people and have that one-on-one -on -one to create that relationship. Marketing is a lot, a lot of it is awareness. It's, hey, we're out here, we're out here. Uh, Coke and Pepsi, do they really have to run commercials? No, everybody knows who they are. Everybody knows what they do but they want to keep that awareness in front of everybody. They don't sell. They, they don't, don't have sell. to sell. They don't sell. They, no. they market, they keep track of share of stomach, but they don't sell. People with vending machine companies sell, but Pepsi and Coke put ads at the Super Bowl. They put ads in all the media. They're doing the reach outs online. And I'd like to say that to answer your initial question, mm -hmm. there are shops that do know what marketing is. I see them every day on LinkedIn. Oh, well, there you go. I see them every day on LinkedIn. And, uh, and I also see them uh, buying AdWords on Google. You'll do a search mm -hmm. and 
you're searching for something specific. And by the way, here are the three targeting ads. Three of <laughs> three of our member companies come up at the top of paid search for Google for just what that topic was. I went looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Those retargeting ads are, are popular. They're pretty powerful. So I guess my suggestion is if you don't have a marketing plan, then maybe you need to start thinking about your messaging and, and what your awareness level and what your reputation is out in the industry. And if you do have one, maybe look at it and see if it needs to be tweaked or not. Yeah. Very good. And something Carly just taught me recently, you need to know your market. You need to sit down in a room and ask that question. Who is our market? Who do we really sell to? And then try to get to those people. And that's who your salesman can close with. You know, that's, uh, that's David just made me so proud. Well, <laughs> it's, it's really an important lesson because yeah. you don't need Coke and Pepsi. I get it. They want everybody to know their, yeah. their color, their logo, their, you know, whatever. We don't need everybody to know we make great parts in the medical space. We just need the buyers of great parts, human safety critical parts for medical applications to know who we are. That's different. It's not to the whole world. It's targeted. It's specific. And you want it targeted not only because that helps your messaging, but you have limited resources. You don't have $20 million to spend on a Super Bowl ad you have maybe $10,000 to spend on on targeted ads or on on uh, uh, posts, you know, right. that you can yeah. pay for and such. So yeah, you need to tar- finding your audience helps you use your resources wisely. So identify your audience with care. You don't want to waste time with the wrong audience or money. Don't waste your That's money. That's right. Quality is the absence of waste. David, you have another idea for us. Yes. I want everybody out there, um, especially people in shop management, to know your numbers. I think it is critical in a time when things might be slowing down a little bit. We're not quite as hectic. And you need to know some important things. Um, One of the things that I think everybody needs to sit down is understanding what their cash burn rate is. How many days cash do you have on hand? Dave, we're not startups. Startups worry about cash burn. Oh, I disagree. I think cash is king. I think that's <laughs> the only thing our You're companies run creator. on is cash. And so, I'm frisky today, Carter. I'm frisky. <laughs> and if you don't know how much cash it takes for you to run your company every day, every week, every month, you need to know at a minimum on a monthly basis. I think you need to calculate that back to the week and day so you know exactly where you're coming from. Because if you're coming up on a cash shortage, where are you going to get that money? Um, and, and what you need to do to calculate that, you need to also understand what your receivables turnover is. So we know what our inventory turns are, but how long does it take for you to get your money? You need to look out there. And if, if you're getting your money beyond 30 days, personally, I think you need to be really communicating with your customers and get that receivable turnover in. I think, or you should get a charter from the federal reserve as a bank. For this your is right. Cause you yeah, don't want to be your customer's your bank. Yeah. Yeah. That if you look down and you're actively receiving money above 30 days with a customer, you are that customer's bank. You are no longer a supplier. 
And so you need to understand what that is. You need to get that down in the 20s, low 20s, maybe even the teens. I like to be in the teens personally in, in receivables turnover. And so rather than talking about that inventory turns, we're talking about receivable turns. And that helps you understand what your cash burn rate is. So you know how much cash you're spending and how often you're going to get cash in. And it helps you plan for when you're going to need to take those line draws from from your line of credit and whether the interest is going to nail you as the Fed keeps hammering us every day with higher interest. Another important thing is your inventory turns. But I think there's three different types of inventory turns. I think you have your finished goods inventory turn, which is the one everybody knows about. That's the one that everybody's always talking about. Our finished goods, how often are they turning over? But then you also need to look at your raw material inventory and how often is it turning over? And I think that's something that more and more shops are looking at, but it's probably less popular than your finished goods turns. And to me, your third turn, and this is the one that's kind of the iceberg. I see a lot of shops spend a lot of money on inventory here and don't realize how much money they have laying around is your tooling inventory. You have thousands upon thousands of dollars of inserts and random holders and things that you're not using locked up in drawers all throughout your shops. And we need to be really careful of those things. And it's a good time in promoting the uh, PMPA listserv sales. You can go get rid of some of that excess stuff that you're not using, declutter your shop and get some of that money back into your cash. That was a nice way to bring that back, buddy. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about that cash burn rate. So one of the things that our industry has used, we call it the earned hour. And so we schedule hours and how many do we earn the hours of production? In other words, a, a scheduled hour costs us, as you said, some, some amount. Did we earn that hour back with our production? So uh, some shops that the number they use is that earned hour. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the ways I always like to look at it um, is doing it the old PMPA way with the cards where we would calculate, you know, what your labor dollars are in um, your parts. And so you wanted to look at the end of the day, you produce X number of parts. This is how much my material costs. This is how much I have in outside processing. So then I have, I bring that money back in and I say, okay, so I had X for the day and it cost me X for the day to run. And so what you really got to look at is sometimes what's fixed costs in our industry is not really what most accountants would consider fixed costs because our labor is a fixed cost for today and probably this week and probably this month and probably for the next six months. And so what you're paying out in payroll each week is a fixed cost. And some of the other things that tend to be fixed because the way we operate is our tooling costs. Um, even though that's a cost of goods sold, it works like a fixed cost. And um, we don't typically track our tools variable to the parts we produce. Now, some of the bigger shops do, but most shops don't. And you definitely don't do it on every part that you run. And so I think it's important that you know what your actual fixed is, your, your utilities, your payroll, your insurance costs and your uh, plant and property costs, like your payments each month. How much are you paying on your machines? How much are you paying on your building? And figure that out each week. Are you making money on the parts you produced with your fixed cost, your true fixed cost? That's a deeper dive into accounting than I ever hoped to do again, because <laughs> you were right on. And oh, my goodness, you know, thanks. Thanks for helping us calibrate. No, that's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. All right, Miles, you're up. I'm up. Well, I would hope that our listeners choose this year to become customer intimate. 
Um, please explain that. Customer intimate. I believe that improving their intimacy with their customers is probably the greatest opportunity for this year coming up. You're, you're talking about like, like uh, growing the relationship? Growing multiple relationships at a customer, not just dealing with a buyer, okay. not just dealing with a purchasing agent. If I've got extra time, can I take my shippers to see their receivers? Can they have a soda and a bag of chips together and talk? Can my engineers go talk to their engineers? Can our quality assurance people see their quality assurance people and see their lab and how they're measuring roundness or how they're measuring surface finish? It's not enough to know what the customer wants. I think we need to know why they want it. I think that's a great idea. And on top of that, if the buyer leaves and that's your only point of contact, now where does what happens to that relationship? So if you've got that relationship with other people in the company, Plus, it shows you care, which our shops do. Right. They they care. They want to make sure right. the part is what the customer needs. Right. So. When, you know, everybody talks, it, the past two years, it's been supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Oh. It's supply chain. But it's really about connection. Yeah. And I think shops that have multiple connections, not just a single link, but multiple connections... That's robust. Yeah. That's. Well, you've got several sources for information as well. So if you need an answer or you need to, to uh, make sure that it's exactly what's needed and not just what the one person's saying, right. then you have those resources. I think that's a great idea. Right. So, uh, you know, you should have multiple people multiple points of contact, multiple connections, and you should be learning why, not just what the customer wants. That is the key phrase right there. You get your performers to understand the why. So they're going into a shop and they know why they can't have burrs on these parts. Somebody's hand assembling these and it's going to cut their hands. They understand why a part has to be, a, you know, a certain smoothness or a certain surface finish. And, and that really makes the big difference. I love it. I think it's a great idea. All right. So for my, my last idea, I'm going 30,000 foot view. Okay. Strategic planning. Where's my oxygen? Mine yeah, on first. You might need it. You might need it. Put it on so you can take care of others. I have a fear of heights, so I'm not sure how this is going to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring you back down to earth here. <laughs> we, um, your strategic plan is so important. You can create it, but if you don't execute it and it, it doesn't match your values and your goals, otherwise, if you don't have a plan, what's the saying? A, a, a wish, what? Can, can that when you say strategic plan, you mean that notebook that's in that shelf over there? That I was stays? in the middle of a profound statement. And you're talking about you notebooks interrupted her profundity. I was curious. <laughs> Thank you. My my profundity was interrupted. <laughs> I apologize. Mea culpa. Yes, I am talking about that dusty old binder sitting on your bookcase that nobody that, looked at. That nobody looked at. 
that isn't out except once a year when you review your strategic plan because that's what we have to do. Uh, it, getting back to my profoundness, which is actually, I'm just quoting somebody else and I don't even know who, but uh, a goal without a plan is just a wish. So you can't wish to have more customers. You can't wish to have a cleaner shop. You right. can't wish to have those intermittent relationships or to dig into deep into your numbers and stuff. You need a plan. So my suggestion is pull it off, dust it off, make it a permanent part of your everyday doings because it helps you reach those goals. Because you've right. got that plan. And maybe the plan has to be tweaked. Maybe the plan was during COVID. Now we're post-COVID. Maybe it was the hair on fire plan. And it's the hair not on fire plan. But this is a great time to review that. Hey, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. There we go. See more profundery. And if you pl any <laughs> plan without financing, <laughs> any plan without financing is called an hallucination. <laughs> this is true. There you go. <laughs> Gotta have money to make it happen. That wraps up today's podcast on adjustments you can make for the year ahead. Thank you for joining us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. You don't want to miss one. Also, check out our Speaking of Suppliers podcast to hear how our technical members can help your shops. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org where you can find our knowledge centers filled with articles, webinars, more podcasts, and other resources just for precision machining. And if you aren't already taking advantage of a PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to learn how we can help you thrive. And why is a PMPA membership important, Carly and Miles? Because, because we, we are, are better together. together. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision.